Hello, and welcome to Beyond Consulting, brought to you by ECA Partners, the only podcast dedicated to helping our listeners navigate the wide variety of options they have after a career in consulting. I'm Ken Canera, host of Beyond Consulting and CEO of ECA Partners, a specialized project staffing and executive search firm focused on former management consultants and private equity. Each week, I host guests that have spent time in consulting and made some sort of pivot or career change. The goal is to help our audience understand all the options that they have available to them and ideally learn from our guests, both in terms of what they did right and things they wish they would have done differently. Today is our first episode with not one but two guests. We have Nick and Kat Contag in the studio today. They're both serial entrepreneurs, and I'm going to actually have them introduce themselves because they've done a lot cooler things than I have. All right. Thanks, Ken. Thanks for having us. We're super excited to be here. Um, I saw Kat and I just pointed at each other. So I guess that means that uh, the rule is that I, I introduce myself first. So so here goes. Um, yeah, I guess to start, uh, I am originally from uh, from Ecuador. So that's where I was born and raised. I've been in the States now for uh, about 20 years. So since, uh, you know, we moved when I was in high school. So I've been in the States for college and grad school and basically ever, everything ever since uh, high school. Uh, professionally, I've been uh, a lot of different things. Um, after uh, college, I was fortunate enough to work on Wall Street for a couple of years. I picked a great time to be there. It was 2008 through 2010. And that, uh, as I say that, I realize how long ago that was. But basically, that was the, the, the financial crisis uh, at that time. And so I was really lucky to keep my head down, keep working. Um, I was at Goldman Sachs at the time and uh, basically completed the two-year program there and went off to, uh, to business school. Um, and that's where actually I met my wife, uh, Kat, who's sitting right here next to me. Uh, after business school, I, I worked as a consultant for a couple of years. I was uh, with, with McKinsey uh, out of the Miami office. Uh, I worked on a bunch of different kinds of projects, but primarily in healthcare and in construction. And after two years there, I paid off my student loans and decided that it was time to be uh, an entrepreneur. That's something I always wanted to do ever since uh, I moved to the States. I always felt like, you know, coming from Ecuador, the States had all this amazing availability of resources, capital, you know, investors, uh, other forms of support, an enormous market, that, you know, regardless of almost any industry you wanted to go into. And so I thought, yeah, I, it's time to be an entrepreneur. And so I decided on a search fund. So I ended up actually buying, for those who are not familiar with a search fund, potentially, um, I, I raised a small fund uh, with the, the sole purpose uh, of buying uh, a single business. So we bought a business based in Tampa, Florida that did, of all things, acoustical ceilings. And I ran that for about five years as the CEO, um, exited the business in 2020. Um, and uh, at that year, became a father uh, of our, our first, uh, our son, Leo. Um, and so that that's where I'll, I'll conclude my, my intro by saying that, you know, that's I've talked a little bit about the professional side on the personal side. Again, you know, I'm a dad, uh, uh, father of Leo and one black lab named Oscar uh, <laughs> and super excited to talk about everything that can come after consulting and anything you want to uh, dish our way, Ken. 
Yeah, no, and uh, and as is true in most things in life, we save the best for last. So, so Kat? I'm Catherine Contag. Um, sometimes I go by Catherine Hill, which is my maiden name. Um, but yeah, I'm um, originally from Palo Alto, California. Um, so I grew up in Silicon Valley. Um, I am also a serial entrepreneur. I grew up knowing that that was exactly what I wanted to do in life. Um, and I started by selling plums uh, in front of our house and then graduated to a lemonade stand where uh, my parents are both business school people. Um, and so they, uh, they actually taught me how to keep a profit and loss statement for my lemonade stand. So um, clearly a early nerd. <laughs> but um, anyways, um, went to school out in California as well um, and uh, started working for Walmart.com. So my, my idea was, um, you know, I want to go work for a large company and really kind of understand like the building blocks of that business so that hopefully one day. I can run my own business. Um, and so, um, uh, start off in their finance division, um, and, uh, then moved to Bentonville, Arkansas, which was a whole nother podcast in and of itself. <laughs> um, but that's where I became, uh, an internal consultant, if you will. So I worked in their corporate strategy division, um, preparing uh, different you know, presentations and deliverables for uh, the CFO of Walmart. So um, an incredible experience. Still have really good friends from that to this day. Um, but actually being uh, an internal consultant solidified uh, that I want to be an operator. Um, and so, you know, I loved providing advice um, and, and giving that guidance. But I, I you know, I was this 24 <laughs> year old who wanted to make the decisions <laughs> um, and I was very adamant about that. So um, I then went on to business school, which, again, the best part of business school was was meeting Nick. Um, cheesy, but it's true. Um, and, uh, yeah. And, and from there, um, I had a brief stint. I did an internship, um, in investment banking, um, at JP Morgan in their, um, tech media telecom group. Um, cause I knew I wanted to go into a, a, a tech direction. Um, and I thought, Oh, I have a finance and strategy background. Investment banking will be great. Um, and then the first night I worked till, or first morning, I worked till 5 a.m. and got all these kudos from everyone on the team. I was like, you know, I don't think that's what we should be uh, championing. So um, it was it was not a good fit for me. Um, but uh, but then went to um, a startup uh, called Bobble Bar in New York. Um, where I manage their uh, their wholesale and retail partnerships, um, and and I joined them when they were about twenty people, um, and really you know saw what it took to start a company and and how messy it is, quite honestly, um, but how it's a ton of fun, um, and I just loved it. And ever since then, I, I sort of caught the entrepreneur entrepreneurial bug and um, went on to to create a product. Um, consumer product that I sold through uh, the container store and Amazon. Um, and then uh, we're nearing the end of my bio, I promise. But um, uh, but then once I sold through that inventory, um, Nick and I sort of uh, paused and we had to make a decision, you know, do we want to go out and get funding for this, this business? Um, or do we want to double down with the search fund? Um, and, and I decided to go join Nick. Um, I basically pleaded. 
for cat's health. Um, but I went and joined Nick um, to really help with uh, the company was based in Tampa, Florida, um, and was doing a lot of work within that region. Um, but we had uh, big plans to grow outside of the region and grow across the state. Um, and so that's what I joined um, to help do from a, a marketing and sales perspective. Um, so yeah, it's, it, it was, it was a, an experiment in the sense of we were like, should we work together? <laughs> Is this a good idea? Um, and you know, we had been, been business advisors for a while to one another on our businesses. Um, and we just said, you know what, like we're, we're just, we're kind of falling over each other, trying to give each other advice. Like, let's just take the plunge and work together. And it turned out to be a, a really wonderful experience. And, and, uh, we are, you know, now running, uh, our own business, um, together to this day. So. No, that that's awesome. And for our listeners, they failed to mention they're basically entrepreneurial power couple. They 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 also both went to Harvard Business School, so they're 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 quite intelligent, uh, as 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 they are kind of stunning. Um, so we we all first met in Miami of all places, I think, because we were living there, and, and we met you guys. And and this is I I think Kat when you were. You were you had just successfully uh, launched your first company, and and re- remind me, it was cl- Color Clutch, right? Color Clutch, yes, it was a patented product, um, totally random, but a patented product to store nail polish in a very compact way. That's right. That's I I remember. I remember because I we 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 bought one uh, as well, direct to consumer. The um, no, it's 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 really cool. Um, it's really great to have you guys on the show. Um, uh, I was I'm really excited for two reasons. One because one you're the first couple that we've that we've had on the show. Um, you're also the first couple that I know that can actually work together, which is kind of crazy. Maybe it's just because Kat's the real boss and and Nick's very submissive. But that's another. That's a whole nother podcast. <laughs> Uh, the, um, but, but now, okay. So, so let, let's kind of like back it up. So today, so, 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 okay. So entrepreneur search funded business, but today, like, so right now I want to hear about what you guys are doing now with Claro. Cause I think this is really interesting. Sure. Yeah. So, um, I think that the, a little bit of a backstory is important. Um, so we sold our portion of the business in 2020, our son was three months old. It was the middle of COVID like just a crazy time. Um, and we decided that we needed to go live closer to family, um, for a variety of reasons. Um, and so we moved to Minneapolis, Minnesota, which is where Nick's, um, uh, parents and sister live now. Um, and, uh, so we moved and, and we also, you know, COVID was raging. We hadn't, there were not vaccines yet. Um, and so we were all quarantined. We were staying at home. Um, we didn't have, we didn't feel comfortable, um, you know, with the daycare option. So we were, um, we were co-parenting full time and we decided, you know, let's, let's pause and, and take a year off. We were very stressed out. (laughs) Um, let's pause and, um, and figure out what's next. We know we want to start another company. Um, we love working together, but, um, let's take a breath. Um, and, uh, you know, it sounds wonderful and, uh, you know, beautiful to be able to take care of your son and have that. It is a privilege. I I acknowledge that, but, um, but it's hard. (laughs) It's not an easy decision because, we're so used to, especially coming from these career tracks that Kat and I had early on, we're just so used to always having our foot on the gas. 
and never taking a break. Mm -hmm. You know, you might take a vacation, maybe, but uh, even that has become really rare. And so COVID really forced us to just take Mm -hmm. the time and find a way to get comfortable with it. Yeah. So, so all of that is to say, we, we had some time to pause and to think about, okay, you know, what do we want to do next? Um, what's needed out there based on our experience? Um, and like any good entrepreneur, we tried a few different ideas. Um, but the one that we came back to um, was, was in the financial strategy space. So um, in in the businesses that we've run previously, you know, I have a corporate finance background. Nick has private equity investment banking background. Um, we were both spending a lot of the, our time managing the financials of the business um, and specifically the, the strategic financials. Right. So not just the accounting and bookkeeping, um, but, you know, what is the five year plan? What's our cash flow looking like? You know, wh- when are we going to bring investors on? Um all those really important questions that you need to think about as a business owner. Um, and yet it was hard to find someone who we could even talk to about this, you know, and get advice from. Um, and, uh, and also, you know, there were recurring processes that we were doing monthly to manage that side of the business. Yet it was very hard to, to find someone that we could hire to, to bring on um, for an affordable price. <laughs> so um, so we kept coming back to the idea and and that's where we landed with Claro CFO. Um, so our website is clarocfo.com. It's with a K. So it's K-L-A-R-O-C-F-O. Um, and it's a spin on the, the Spanish word claro um, for claro. Oh, okay. So I was always wondering this. Okay. That's that's very helpful. Yeah. So it's a spin on, on that sense of clarity. And, and um, what we do right now is we work with um, pre-revenue companies, we work with small and medium businesses all the way up to about 30 million in revenue. Um, but we help them with those strategic financial pieces of the business. So, um, you know, the, the term uh, fractional CFO is, is used a lot. Um, so, so we're basically a fractional CFO um, for a variety of different projects. That's that's really interesting, and and so is it is it primarily so you said it's primarily smaller businesses, um, and 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 I guess so. Did you discover this kind of call it like space in the market when you were running uh, running Hanlon? Is that right? Yeah, that's I'll I'll jump yeah. in for that. Yeah, that's exactly right. Because as Kat mentioned, we just found that running a you know a small business, small slash medium business, however you characterize it. Um, you know, and so in Hanlon, just for, for reference, right, at, at the time that we bought it, we had about, uh, and throughout the time that we ran it, we had about 50 employees and between about five and $10 million in revenue. And so even at that size, it was very difficult to hire someone to, um, uh, you know, to, to, to come in and, and provide those CFO services. And so uh, it, as we took the year off during COVID to reflect on what would be helpful, we thought, man, I mean, we really would have used these services when we were operators in, in, in this business. And, and maybe there are people out there that, you know, that feel the same way. So it turns out there's actually, you know, a, a big pent up demand for it is what we're finding. Um, and so now the, the, the challenge for us has gone from getting our initial clients that we help with 
you know, the, the services that Kat described, things like valuations and projections for their financials, and even up to things like sell side negotiations, uh, how we can take that model and, uh, and scale it. And we have a lot of ideas about how we want to do that, uh, but that's really where our attention is, is focused on now. Mm-hmm. That's great. The um, no, we definitely see a lot of this. Uh, so we work with a lot of lower middle market clients, and usually the first thing after acquisition is like, "Oh shoot, we need to figure something out with finance," or "Oh gee, was there? There is no finance function, right? It's it's you know, it's someone sitting in a room in in the middle of nowhere, kind of um, taking the the controller, CFO, accountant, like all 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 in one kind of thing, and and just uh, you know. I'd say take taking a little bit of a swing at the books <laughs> versus strategically. So I guess what are what are some of like that kind of I guess big use cases that you're seeing uh, with your clients? We've seen a few different uh, sort of flavors of services, if you will. I always think of any business that we've been in almost as an ice cream parlor, maybe because <laughs> I just really like ice cream. Um, well, yeah, you haven't you haven't graduated to lemonade yet, Nick. Haven't yet. Haven't gotten that <laughs> far. Right, exactly. <laughs> But um, yeah, so the first thing that that really uh, a lot of business owners are interested in is the valuation side of the business. And so especially, you know, when you're not in sort of the range of a private equity firm that may be looking to buy you out, there aren't that many buyers for your, you know, for your firm. Maybe your plan is is to, you know, sell it to an employee or to leave it to a family member at some indefinite point in the future. Um, but the opportunities tend to come, you know, they tend to be few and 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 far between. And so the valuation side is important to people because they want to figure out, hey, where do I fall in this spectrum? Right. What is my business potentially worth today? And if I do want to you know, exit and have uh, a sale to something like a private equity firm or a larger uh, you know, competitor, perhaps like a publicly traded competitor of ours, how do I get there? Where am I today? And what does the path look like to get there? So that that is, is one of the big areas that we help companies with. And to your point about, you know, the, the finances, a lot of times, I mean, really, we're talking about the accounting, right? Like the QuickBooks file or whatever, you know, accounting software they use, you know, being in, in a little bit of, uh, of, of disarray at times, uh, we run into that a lot. And so we'll help them get a clean view of their business. And, and put together a valuation that's intuitive to them and that they can understand uh, and they can see what the assumptions are that are built into it about things like revenue growth and expenses and ultimately, you know, the profit profitability of the business. The other major area that we've seen interest in is in, uh, in basically managing or preparing rather for an investment or for a sale. Yeah. So, you know, often that'll come after the valuation stage, but a company may say, hey, look, I'm really looking to, to raise some debt because I just need the money to buy some equipment or to hire a bunch of people and, and start a new service, whatever the case is, or I'm looking for an equity investor or potentially I'm looking to sell the entire business. Um, and so we'll jump in on that side of it as well, because that's a process that we went through um, at, at many points in our careers. But we got real firsthand experience doing that uh, through the search fund where, you know, we went through the process of speaking with a, a business owner, 
buying their business. And then on the other side of it, exiting our stake of the business, which is essentially your, your sale of, of the business. Mm-hmm. So, um, so those are the two areas that we've seen. And then the last, the third flavor, if you will, um, that is, is that tends to be uh, at this point, much more ad hoc. And so we found situations where people may need evaluation because they're looking to issue some shares, some equity to key employees. And they're, they're trying to, they don't, they don't know where to start with that. Um, and so we can advise them on that part of it, or they may have some uh, work that still relies on the financial forecast, but it might be specific to something like, you know, their pricing strategy. So they're saying, hey, I don't know if I'm pricing my products, whatever they are, or my services, whatever they are the right way. How do I think about that and tie that back to the financial projection that we made? And, and how would that projection and the valuation for my business changed if we if we price things differently? And how do I test this? And how do I actually do this? That's just one example of sort of the ad hoc stuff that we do. So it'd be basically those three flavors of, of services that we offer. No, that that's that's really great. And is it for now, is it primarily services led? Is it is there a technology component? I guess, how are you thinking about now and the future of the business? Yeah, so I, th- I think it's important to mention we started um, in October 2021. So it's right now. April 2022. So we've been around for about six months. Um, so, you know, I love that we, we act like, okay, we've got this well-oiled machine, right? Because we're entrepreneurs. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I mean, every day we're, we're um, learning more about what our, our clients need. So all of that is to say, um, we have gotten some really positive feedback that, um, that folks want to work with us on a more regular basis. Um, and so we are looking um, at, you know, migrating something to like a SaaS platform um, where they can have, you know, a, a dashboard that they can log into and, and sort of keep their, their pulse on those important KPIs for the business. Um, and then also, and then deep dive with us on specific, you know, uh, negotiation strategy or, um, you know, whatever might come up uh, in their business at the time. So the short answer is yes, we would like to get some tech involved with it. Um, and we're, sort of navigating that right now. That's awesome. No, I, and for, for what it's worth from what I've seen work the best, um, at least in lower middle market is, is services led and then kind of developing the technology around that. Right. Because a, a lot of the companies I'm guessing that you're dealing with, it's, it's not just like kind of like rinse and repeat or boilerplate, right. It's all very different situations. Exactly. Right. And, and the trick, at least the challenge for us right now is trying to find the, the, the kind of the activities within the different needs that companies have that, that potentially are boilerplate, right? That you can uh, you can scale with some sort of software and then you can provide more custom services and, and frankly, better customized services to them because you have things like, you know, their financial forecast, not just historicals in QuickBooks, you have access to their forecast and in, in, a, very regu- in a very granular uh, level, uh, you know, on, on a cloud-based platform, right? And, and you can perform your analyses and give your recommendations based on that information, right? That, that, would, be the, um, that would be the goal for us in the long term, at least for now. Yeah, no, that's awesome. I think you guys are hitting on a real a real pain point um, from from what we've seen as well. Okay, so the so the the real question that people are wondering is, Cat, how, how do you how do you how do you work with them? <laughs> what's what's your secret? No, I mean, we, Nick's laughing. We're because we 
it's funny, like almost every, on every, you know, we call them discovery calls, right? Every time we meet a potential new client, they're like, wait, you guys work together? How does that work? And it's like, kind of like, Ugh, you know, like, um, it's potentially a red flag. But also like, I think they're coming from, from the standpoint of like, I don't know that I could work with yeah, yeah. you know, and, and we get that. Um, I guess, so the simple answer is, um, like I grew up, my parents worked together. Um, so I saw that, um, dynamic and it was very normal, <laughs> like, um, worked out well. Um, they had the, you know, complimentary skill sets. And I think, um, um, this is kind of the same with, with Nick and I. So, um, we do, you know, there are certain things that I like to focus on, like the, the sales and marketing. Um, and so I kind of, that's my lane that I kind of run in. Um, and, and Nick has a lot of other strengths. Um, he really, for this specific business, he focuses, um, on those valuations and building, um, the deliverables for the clients. Um, and, and, you know, it was a little bit of a different mix at Hanlon, but, but similar, you know, and, and I think that allows us to work together easily. Um, cause it's nice. Like I, I 110% trust everything that Nick is working on. Um, and like, I know he'll do it better than I would. So, um, it's kind of like great to work with someone like that. And I'd say, I mean, from my side, I, I feel exactly the same way, right? It's, it's just really cool to feel that you're working with someone that you, you obviously trust a hundred percent, right. Uh, in, in every single regard, right. Sort of professionally, personally, however you want to think about it. Um, and you feel like they will do it as Kat said, like, frankly, better than, than you would. Um, and that's a cool feeling to have, especially when you're an entrepreneur and you're trying to hold yourself to a really high standard. You're trying to do everything to the best of your ability a lot of times. Mm -hmm. um, so it's it's it, that's what that's part of what makes it so, uh, so fun. It just it felt like, you know, we we obviously love each other and we have a great home and uh, working together kind of just felt like an extension yeah. of that. It came kind of naturally, really. Yeah. Um, it wasn't ever something that we really sat down to sort of weigh the pros and cons right. and talk about, you know, really deliberately. We just started doing it and then realized that it it seemed really natural to us. And so mm -hmm. we figured, well, let's keep doing it. <laughs> yeah. I'm And joking aside, I think like part of the reason, you know, it can be an issue like, oh, like is, is mainly because like if we think about like, uh, you know, OK, if, if we are working at separate jobs, right, hearing like that advice from someone without all the context is like, are you serious? Like, you, you know, right. Which is like, admittedly, I hope my wife doesn't listen to this podcast, but uh, but sometimes she'll like, you know, at, she'll give unsolicited advice. And I'm just like, I kind of roll my eyes. I'm like, OK, whatever. Um, but, you know, again, you guys are in the trenches together. Right. Um, so I, um, I I think that has a big part of it. And that started at Hanlon. Right. I mean, so. Talk, talk to us about, I guess, Nick, really how that whole kind of like search fund pr process happened from the beginning and then how you two started working together. Yeah. So so um, really high level, um, as I mentioned earlier, right, since my family moved to the States, I always felt that I wanted to be an entrepreneur. I felt like, hey, if there's if there's a place on planet Earth where you can be your own boss and you have a shot at it. Um, it's not a guarantee, but at least you have a very good shot at doing it and being successful at it. It's it's in the States. And so I always aspired to that. And so um, so for me, I kind of stumbled on search funds. I learned about them in grad school. And I remember the, the 
the day that I learned what they were, I was really just shocked. I mean, it seemed ridiculous to me that you could be this, you know, 20 to 30 year old that goes and raises millions of dollars without ever running, having run a business before buying a business, right? After looking for one and, and buying it and then taking over the business and leading it and hopefully growing the business um, and then potentially, you know, selling that business. It, it, it just, it, it, I couldn't imagine a, a bigger challenge for, for me when I, when I learned about it, it kind of felt like someone had painted Mount Everest in front of me. And I just thought, man, I really want to go climb that. Like that just seems really like a lot of fun and, and a perfect way to use a lot of the things that I'm interested in. And so, um, so I was down for it. And, and during business school, I was, I was frankly a little bit, I felt a little scared to, to even try it. I felt worried to try it out of the gates because I had my student loans and, uh, I just felt like, man, you know, if this, if this doesn't work out, at least financially, then, you know, I, I, I could be in pretty bad shape, you know, five or 10 years from now. And those at least were the thoughts that were running through my mind. And so, um, so I thought, you know, I want to take a little bit of a safer route and first do a couple of years of consulting because, you know, it was sort of a, uh, a typical uh, rationale that you hear from people that, oh, you know, it will keep your doors open mm -hmm. and you don't become a specialist in anything. So you kind of remain a generalist. Also, the pay is not that bad and you can, you know, you could potentially pay off your student loans, all that stuff. Great. So um, so that's, you know, I, I, I had that detour between business school and starting the search fund. Uh, to work in consulting for a bit. But I'd say, I mean, consulting really kind of cemented that choice to become a search fund, you know, entrepreneur, or even just broadly an entrepreneur. One of the things that I, I observed while working as a consultant is that it seemed like, you know, from day one, you were always, you were consistently praised for being really, you know, really smart. You were told that, which is kind of a weird thing, right? I mean, especially now as a parent of a toddler, right? I, 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 I would imagine that, you know, it, it, it's, it just, it still strikes me a little bit odd today that there was so much emphasis on that one dimension of a person. And so people would start to even talk about it during like informal, like team time together, right? Like things, trying to give examples of things that they'd accomplished in their life that demonstrated and proved that they were really, really smart and worthy of being there, right? And worthy of the things that they were being told by recruiters and by other people in charge of people development at the, at the firm. Mm -hmm. And I couldn't help but think, man, I mean, if you're, if you think, if you're that smart, then maybe you can go try, like actually apply the stuff, the recommendations that you're giving businesses and put them into practice. And, uh, and wouldn't that be a test, right? Wouldn't that be a test of the conviction that you have behind your recommendations and the rigor that you've, that you've put into it? So that, I always had that feeling and that was a big, you know, part of what, you know, drove me to make the decision to leave consulting and become an entrepreneur. The decision specifically to do, to, to raise a search fund was what really felt to me like at the time, kind of a, a lack of creativity in that, I would look at Kat and I thought, man, she she is the kind of person that could kind of come up with an idea from from thin air, it, it felt like. And I felt like I could just bang my head against the wall for hours and I, I couldn't come up with a, a, a service that I felt like anyone would want to or a product that I felt like anyone would really want to pay for. And so 
you know, the search fund was kind of a, a, a way to get around that problem because you're buying a business that already exists. That's proven that, you know, there's a demand for that service and product. So you're kind of bypassing that whole stage of, hey, is this idea even good or not? Um, I have different thoughts today about, you know, the, the implications of bypassing that stage and, and, and what, what it's like to live through that startup phase. But um, at the time, that was really my, my thinking. And so, um, so those things, you know, I, I guess to, to summarize it, one, it was just the general idea of, of everything involved in a search was amazing to me. Um, my professional experiences then right out of business school really kind of cemented that that uh, that belief in that, hey, this is really something I want to do. And then finally, right, I think just as importantly, not knowing what not having like a business in mind that I would start from scratch. All of those things came together and and really made the search fund an obvious option for me. That's, uh, I, I guess, two observations. One is um, McKinsey's vetting processes clearly work because I didn't get past the, the first round. So, so they must be doing something smart to make sure that they, they indeed find smart people. And then two, um, I, you know, it's funny. I've never thought about the search fund path that way in, in that, yes, it is an entrepreneurial path and it is a risky path and it is um, something that, you know, can obviously, you know, put you in the deep end. But like you said, there there is kind of like a playbook or a path where it's like, you know, Kat could just start a business literally probably like on this podcast, like she might have started a company. Uh, just, just that that is like a perfect way to describe her, by the way. Uh, that's pretty awesome. Um, OK, so so you start the search fund uh, at you were in Miami at the time. You start looking for businesses and then what? So, I mean, that's when the fun really begins, right? Because you basically, you, you, you quit your job one day. <laughs> you like, you know, what we did was we looked at each other. We both quit our jobs around the same time. And we said, okay, we've got, you know, six months of runway roughly, right? And runway means after these six months, like we're out of money. <laughs> we're we're going to start going hungry, right? Like it, that, it's that simple. So in six months time, we either have made our, our ideas start to take off and it looks like we can make a living off of them or uh, we've got to, you know, the latest at that point, go back and and maybe go begging back for our old jobs or something like that. But, but, you know, that's, that's sort of what's uh, what the options are. And so, um, so when, so you, you leave your job and now you're, you kind of in this, this, this free moment of like, now what do I do? And, and, and my first kind of uh, uh, step was to, well, to start finding businesses, uh, because I figured, look, even before getting, uh, you know, raising money or finding investors, I need to I, I want to feel comfortable that there are businesses around the place that, that we wanted to live at the time, which was Miami or, or Florida more broadly. I wanted to feel like I, I could point to you know actual companies that would potentially sell to me right under the right circumstances and that I could see myself you know, as crazy as it seemed running one day. And so, uh, so I kind of set out down that path. And so that was a lot of, you know, uh, at the beginning networking with anybody that would, you know, heads of like uh, boutique M&A firms and law firms and consultancies and accounting firms, everyone in Miami that I felt would potentially be able to connect me to small and medium business owners because of the work that they did on a day-to-day -day basis. So it was a lot of cold emails, a lot of really 
bizarre meetings at the be- at the beginning when I, yeah I'd go to people's I'd be you know walking up and down Brickle the main drag in Miami in like 90 degrees with 100% humidity and a wool suit like a total idiot sweating and then I'd go into these into these buildings and meet with these with these people and you know they would usually bring a small army of people with them I thought it was because they were just they were AA was like their security detail they're like this guy is either really crazy right referring to me or maybe there's something kind of interesting here that like, you know, other people may want to listen to and then participate. I, I tend to think he th- they thought I was, you know, crazy. And this was his security detail <laughs> that we're coming in with them. But um, we would, you know, I would pitch to them what I was trying to do buy a business. And so they would they would provide some leads and I could learn about some businesses that way. I also went out and just started recruiting people to help me, students from local community colleges and universities. Uh, both, you know, in Miami and and in the outskirts of Miami, to help me to help me search for companies doing the unglamorous work of going online and like going into Google or using databases that we had access to through you know like university networks that kind of thing to learn about businesses and start assembling a huge database like amassing a huge database of companies and all the details that we could learn about those companies so that we could start to reach out to them via email, via letters, via, you know, in person, whatever, whatever worked uh, to basically gauge whether they would be up for a sale or not. And, and after that point, you know, I was probably about two, almost three months into into that when I really started talking with prospective you know, investors or partners, because then I felt like, OK, I can go into these conversations and I already can point to some businesses that, you know, like I feel like, you know, in my mind, I felt like, hey, we could potentially buy a business tomorrow. Right. If one of these uh, if, if one of these owners decided to sell, that's not how it actually happened. But I just wanted to to have that level of comfort. So I, I felt like I had a little bit more than just uh, smoke and mirrors you know, behind me. One of the things I've always admired about you and Kat, and I've told this to you before, is you guys just have this kind of unique ability to pull up and shoot. So you you just talked about generating these meetings with these random people when things weren't perfect and you're sweating in your wool suit. And and it's it, it, it's it, it's interesting because you kind of glazed over it like it was a small point, like not that big of a deal. But it's something that people I see struggle with all the time because it, it's like we want to get it perfect. We want to get it perfect. Um I guess, has that always come natural to you or like has Kat helped you with that? Because I've, I've noticed, Kat, you know, it, it seems like second nature to Kat, I guess. But actually, Kat, well, Kat is way cooler than I am. Uh, but yeah, it's actually a really good point. I mean, I, I so the, the, the you know, the tendency to want to do things like perfectly right at the first try is definitely something that I I've struggled with. And I, I think I definitely definitely still struggle with today. The only difference with maybe 10 years ago is that I'm, I'm, I think I'm much more aware of it. And I've definitely done things like, for instance, you know, therapy, right, to, to talk about those with someone to help me, uh, you know, be at least aware of when I'm when I'm doing that. Mm-hmm. So the short of it is that, yes, I think that many people with like with a consulting background or similar jobs tend to have that that you know inclination to try to be perfect but if you're going to be an entrepreneur you've got to get comfortable breaking stuff mm-hmm. right and you and you've got to just be comfortable with things not being perfect and you you fix it along the way because there's a there's a trade off you know between 
getting your business going and starting to generate some revenue and showing that showing yourself that it's a viable business and designing a you know a perfect product that's going to blow customers socks off you know the first minute that they that they see it you do need something that's kind of viable right but you, it doesn't by any means have to be perfect and that's just the name of the game when you're when you're an entrepreneur mm-hmm. um, so totally yes and, and and I talk to Kat about that still all the time right like um, you know are we am I overthinking something am I going too far in the weeds or you know have we answered the mail with what we have so far and you know is it is it time to move on so just broadly speaking I think if you if you're if you're thinking about becoming an entrepreneur and you do observe that in yourself, you know, any, any partner or advisors that you surround yourself by, I would, it would be helpful to you if they, you know, if, if you found someone that you think can help pull you out of that, you know, that rut potentially. Right. So that as you were saying, you could just, you can just pull up and shoot and then just have a good sense of humor about it. Like you try something, it goes horribly wrong. Mm-hmm. That's okay, right? Like that doesn't say anything. Thanks for a good story. It's just a good story. <laughs> yeah, your your book when you when you guys retire is going to be awesome. Like I I think the title is like how not to plan a career. Yeah, exactly. yeah, exactly. Don't plan it. Yeah, no, we agree with that. Yeah. Uh, no, that is awesome. Okay, cool. So, all right, so you you're attending a lot of these meetings. You're looking for businesses. Was Hanlon the first kind of big transaction that came across the board, or or was it like talk talk to me about the, I guess the transaction process. There were a few different businesses that came close. So just like, you know, in broad brushstrokes, we we being that that team of you know students from community colleges and, and local universities and recent grads that was working with me, there were about 10, uh, 10 to 15 of those students over the course of a year. So I, I ended up, you know, from the time that I uh, that I, I partnered with, uh, you know, with my my sponsors and basically received you know a wire transfer from them to conduct a search to the time that we closed on a business it was about a year you know sort of door to door and so over the course of that year there were about 10 or 15 people working with me to look at the businesses we looked at about 2000 companies so that means we like we researched them found their you know a lot of information about them so that we could reach out to them we obviously reached out to every single one of them but of those, you know, the it's a very narrow funnel of those. Uh, we only I only sent out, I think, somewhere between 10 and 20 of what, you know, a lot of people call indications of interest. So think of it as just like a one page piece of paper that goes to a, a business owner and says, hey, you know, I'm interested in, in buying your company. And you only get there if, you know, you've had some dialogue with them and you, and you can actually talk about terms under which you would buy the business. So it's not a it's not a formal offer. It's just outlining the terms under which a formal offer would be extended. And it hopefully, you know, it's there. It's, it's your chance to get in writing, whether you're in the ballpark with them about general terms, prices, et cetera, or, or not. And it's, you know, potentially time to board and move on. And of those 20, right, I only ended up, uh, you know, uh, giving out one uh, letter of intent, which was for Hanlon, which was the business that we bought. And so, um, so you know, roughly uh, of those 2,000, roughly like 20 of them came to that point where I knew enough about the business that I was extending terms and and was really thinking about myself you know, uh, as, as the new owner or, you know, part owner of the business. Um, yeah. 
So it was, it was, uh, it, Hamlin definitely wasn't the only one, but it was one of, I think, very, very few, right, out of a, a massive, what felt like a massive funnel. Okay. And then the, the transaction process, right? Th- that was a new experience as well. That was, yeah, that was. But I think you'd be amazed what you can do with adrenaline. <laughs> well, because, you know, it's like I, you do, you, as a consultant, sometimes you work on like a due diligence project, right? And those are always, I think those are, due diligence is synonymous with nightmare, right? It's like, don't get staffed on a due diligence project unless you're a, you know, a total masochist. And, uh, and the truth is that, you know, this was very different because here the due diligence, it's for you. Right. Like you're doing due diligence on the stuff that you think is potentially an issue when you start leading that business. So it's you know, you start getting really practical really quickly about, hey, what stuff really matters here and what's just sort of, you know, analysis paralysis. Nice to have scenarios. You know, you really narrow in on the stuff that can that you feel could almost literally kill you right on day one. Right. And uh yeah, you know, it's it's uh, it, so so there's a lot I think of just thinking that goes into place and it's very practical thinking. It's you know, you want to stay away in my opinion from any kind of academic notions of due diligence that you think you may have or you know, templates of due diligence or checklists. You want to make it from scratch so you make sure you're nailing down the things that, you know, that that are really going to matter on day 1. That makes a ton of sense, right? I mean, because we've all done those due diligence projects where it's like, you know, you're exploring hypothesis eight, nine, and ten, and like in the in reality, they don't really actually matter, right? And and I mean, okay, so you're really focused on like the the, the stuff that actually matters, right? Are are, are those fifty people going to walk out when you walk in, right? Yeah, that's one of the biggest fears. Yeah, totally. Is everyone just going to quit, or like, are the books all fudged, right? <laughs> like, is everything is everything just made up in this business, right? All that stuff you want to, you know, are the customers real? Are they fake? Like, what? Are, why are they buying from this company? Right? Like, is it? Are there? Are there? You know, I think when you're doing diligence, oftentimes it's easy to think of the more nefarious situations. But you know, are there bribes going on? Is that kind of thing, or are these like legitimately? Hey, you know, we've established these customers over a long time, and they really love our service, and you know, things that you feel are more transferable to you as the new owner. Yeah. You have to be really practical about all that and then how you're going to gauge that, right? Like how are you actually going to get data to the best of your ability to, to glean that, right? That's, that's, that's really tricky. No, that's awesome. The, um, okay. So then, okay. Walk me through day one, you walk in as CEO what the heck is that like? You you want to get the most luxurious car that you can get. <laughs> and you drive it right through the front door. Two parking <laughs> spots, right? Obviously, yeah. And, yeah. and if they're not already there for you, you make them. You you crash the other cars out of the way. Um, and so once you've done, once you throw your keys at someone and say, please take this, you no, you definitely don't do that. I think like, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a weird experience. I think for everyone involved, it's weird for you. It's, it's weird for the owner who sold their business and definitely for all of the, the people working at the company who are receiving this news more often than not, I think they, they have no idea. Maybe they have some suspicions that the company was being sold, but um, but they don't, they didn't know for sure. So you're walking into the company to announce, you know, big news for the first time because the change in ownership 
you know, it, it potentially comes with a lot of changes and people are generally really understandably worried about change. Um, so, so I, you know, I, I was really excited to, to just get in there. I remember I got there about 15 minutes early and I just, I was parked outside of the office, like across the street, like a psycho. And then I thought, <laughs> I'm just going to go in. I don't, it doesn't matter that it's 15 minutes early. I'm just going to go and introduce myself. So I walked in and I, I went into the, the, you know, the, the previous owner's office and said, Hey, you know, if you're ready to do this, let's do this. Um, so yeah, he just called his, his, his home office team into his office. There were about, you know, I think about 15 people in that room. And, uh, and I just introduced myself, you know, I, the, 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 the previous seller spoke first and he, conveyed that, you know, he'd sold the business and, you know, uh, sort of gave some, some rationale for, for why and what it prompted it, so on and so forth. Um, then I just introduced myself as briefly as I could, uh, because I just figured I, this is their chance to ask questions. Everyone's going to have a million things potentially that they want to ask. So I want to give the time to them. Um, and they did, you know, and, and you get all kinds of questions, right? I mean, you get questions ranging from, like, are you going to move the office tomorrow? Right. Which, why would you, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, the answer is probably no, <laughs> right where it is, um, you know, uh, to, you know, really specific questions about certain customers and things that you have no idea about. And you just hear people out, in my opinion, you just hear them out and, and you're just trying to convey that for the foreseeable future, you don't want to make any huge changes. You're just trying to learn the business and you're not an expert in the business. They're the experts in the business. You're really just trying to learn about them and learn about the company. That, uh, I, that kind of brings up something which is true. I know about both of you because I've known you, but it's, I think that like you both have this unique ability to be very relatable, right? So it's like, yes, yes, you went to fancy business schools. Yes, you worked at McKinsey. Yes, you're successful entrepreneurs. But at the same time, yeah, I mean, you, you joked about the the fact that you're going to take up two spots. And, and that's because I, I think that's like a commentary because like, you know, I don't think everyone would have taken that approach. Right. And um, and, and I think your ability to build connections with people is is truly a, a big ingredient in kind of your success. If you think about, OK, the three or four things as it relates to the investment thesis for Hanlon and then kind of like, okay, then, then where does cat come into to, to the picture? Could you kind of like talk me through, I guess, like the story of, uh, of your ownership and, you know, eventual exit? Yeah. I mean, the, 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 the idea was, I think really similar. It wasn't, it wasn't anything I think earth shattering when you think about it in the context of, of many of most search funds potentially out there today. So like the landscape of search funds has changed a lot in the last, you know, 10, 20 years uh, with regard to the kinds of industries that people look for, that searchers look for. So, you know, maybe 10, 20 years ago, there was, it was, you saw many more searchers that were exclusively, you know, partnering with the same group of, of sort of search fund investors and looking at very select industries, one of them being, for instance, software as a service for very good reasons, um, and companies that had very kind of specific profiles. So, you know, recurring revenue, which obviously you you tend to get with a software business that had growing, you know, revenues that were rapidly growing at, you know, double digits for, you know, the last, you know, maybe two or three years that had, you know, sustainable EBITDA margins, all these things that kind of made for like a perfect business, if you will, and very hard to find, mm -hmm. especially 
to find and to buy at a, at a, at a reasonable price. Uh, now, I think you see a lot of searchers that are self-funded and they are buying businesses that are, you know, they're, they're much more service-based. They're, they could be in construction. They could be in related services like, you know, uh, there's the, the Rick and Royce uh, buying a small business book that was published a few years back. The example they give is like the porty porta potty business, and they say you could be the porty uh, porta potty. Say that ten times fast. Porta potty <laughs> king or queen of whatever city, right? Like we're talking about businesses. These kinds of businesses are not super high tech. They've been around for a long time, but they can be, as they put it in the book, like enduringly profitable, right? And so, um, so with these kinds of businesses, the thesis is generally, hey, you know, it's locally run business. I think that as the as the potential owner operator of the business, I can come in and I can put processes in place so that we can just service a bigger, a broader area. And potentially we can transform the business so that we go from just sort of, you know, say cleaning porta potties or putting up acoustical ceilings or whatever the, the case is to providing a completely, you know, unrelated service that we discover just by virtue of being in that in that business. But, you know, that's, that's, I think a lot of times far fetched. It's hard to make an investment thesis out of that without having a really specific view up front of, you know, what exactly that's going to be. Because if you knew you were going to make some revolutionary ground or industry changing, you know, uh, product or service, then presumably you would, you would start a, start a business, right? Do like a startup route and, and do that. With a search fund, you're really just trying to expand existing operations and formalize things so that you can do that. So that was a story with Hanlon. I mean, you know, the business had done really, really well in the years leading up to the, to the, uh, you know, to our purchase of it. But it, you know, as you mentioned earlier, it was missing a lot of things uh, that it needed to get to that next level. So like the books and records were, were maintained by a single person. It was overwhelming for that person. It was literally just an overwhelming amount of paper and paper records going through. And those were being used to actually make payments. So money was coming in and out of the company of, of the company on the basis of these paper records that were not, you know, kept in the most organized way possible. Um, there was no clear path for advancement for people. We operated in an industry in a part of the country that frankly uh, was, you know, there was endemic racism and sexism and bigotry of other sorts that made it difficult for, you know, uh, uh, black people, Latinos, women, uh, you know, gay minorities, others to advance within the company, because not only did they not have a clear process for advancement, but their own, you know, those those sort of characteristics about them were also were viewed as a hindrance. It was sort of this mentality of, of less than. And so coming into the business, I think, you know, one of the biggest challenges was how do we change the culture uh, so that we, you know, not we make it transparent so people know what it takes to move up within the company. In other words, I do, you know, X tasks. I, I know how to perform certain kinds of projects. I get promoted. I earn more. But also to create an environment where people from just different backgrounds could could move up as well. And they weren't, you know, they weren't being ganged up on or held back in any way by by others in the company. And so that was, you know, the biggest challenge, right, uh, uh, in, in, when it comes to transforming the business and setting it up for for growth. 
Um, but that's what we did over those five years that, that we ran it. And, and Kat, as she's mentioned, was involved in, in you know, about the last like two and a half years ish of, of the five years that I was with Hamlin. And uh, and so we did a lot to, uh, you know, put in place things like, you know, performance evaluations for our field team, show them a career path, mm-hmm. put in place training programs for them so that they could get formal on the job training instead of just, you know, showing up to a, a project site, like a job site, which is kind of scary the first time you get to one, you know, you're wearing a hard hat and there's all sorts of things that you could trip on or fall into and teaching them formally, right? Like, how do you do this job, right? In a safe environment so that when you get out there to the field, you feel like you, you kind of know what you're doing. Um, you know, offering things that the company didn't offer before, like benefits, right? So things like health insurance and 401k plans, mm-hmm. um, that, that didn't exist. We put all of that stuff in place because we felt like it was the right thing to do. Um, and then sort of on the other side of that, also building like a sales uh, a sales, uh, machinery, right? Like we, we, when we bought the business, the only way you could figure out what was, uh, you know, sort of what the pipeline looked like for backlog was you'd have to go talk to the person doing the estimating and just ask them, Hey, what do you think's out there? And they would look at a big stack of paper on their desk. That was <laughs> kid you not. It was like three feet high and they, well, it's all in here. So, so wait, if I want to know what we've bid out there and what we could potentially win and like what the rest of the year could look like revenue wise, I've got to look through this stack of paper. You got it. You got it, Ace. Like that's what that's what you got to do. So we had to transform that. We had to put in like a, a CRM in place, right? Um, and that's the, the one of the major things that Cat was involved in. Um, we had to do these, put in place these like this technology that would allow us to um, to forecast our business and to and to plan ahead, uh, and then use that to figure out, hey, where are we gonna, you know, when do we need to hire? Where are we gonna hire from? So on and so forth. So it was it was a lot about you know kind of taking the business from a much more mom and popsy operation that operated locally to turning it into something that was capable of taking on work, you know, throughout the entire state uh, and doing it reliably and and you know uh, without you know the goal is always without too many local fires going on because things were just happening consistently throughout. What was the most interesting thing you learned about yourself and about each other during this whole process? I love that question. I think I think that we learned. Oh, I, I can say I can speak for myself. I definitely learned that I'm very mission driven. And I think I mean, the same is the same is true for Kat. And so in any business that we that we go into, we want to we want to do it because it's fun and because we believe it's it's sort of the right thing to do, right? The service of the product we're offering does some good for uh, for humanity, right? And so you might say, well, outsource CFO services, right? What does that do? But but you know, at first blush, right? It sounds like something almost out of the Dilbert comic book. But you know, the the truth is that a lot of small businesses out there, and this became very evident to us during the pandemic, they just need this help. Right. How on earth are you going to grow your company if, you know, if you can't, if you don't know what revenue is going to be in, in, if you don't have like an idea of what's going to be in the next year or how much cash you think is going to be in the bank by the end of the year and how much you could, you know, pay yourself, pay your employees and bonuses. It's very, very difficult to do that. And so we rally around, at least with Claro, 
we rally around this idea that we're we're serving you know uh, early entrepreneurs and small and medium business owners, uh, and we just get really jazzed up about that. Um, with with uh, with Hanlon, it was a very similar kind of a thing where we were you know like construction is a tough industry, super litigious industry. Um, it's it, it you know it's very risky and that margins tend to be very thin. There's a lot of cash you've got to outlay, a lot of risk that you incur because you just you might not get paid. All that kind of stuff happens. And so to get through all of that on a daily basis, I think, you know, for us, it was about the mission. It was about, hey, we're creating opportunities for all of these, you know, people that can come join the company at various levels. They can come, you know, on their first day, they're sweeping floors on construction sites, but they're 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 hungry. They're looking to move up. Um, and we want to create an opportunity for them. We want them to know that they can come to Hanlon and we don't care, you know, we don't care who you, you know, who your mom, your dad is, where you went to school, if you went to school, you can, you can advance if you work really hard. Um, and we'll be transparent on our side about what that is. So I, I definitely learned that. And, and that's, that's, I think the biggest reason why I love working with Kat, because, you know, I, I, she's nodding as I say this, but I know she feels the same way. And so that that's what just makes it makes it fun. And we can then laugh about the hard times when they come by, because, you know, uh, in the end, we just think, well, we're still we're still, you know, moving toward that that end that we find fulfilling. And so anything that happens sort of in the in between is not that big of a deal. Yeah. I, yeah. I would echo what, what Nick said. And I, I think that that, um, that agreement on the mission and what, what drives us, whether, you know, no matter what business we're working in, I think that has to be a real, um, common piece for us in order to work successfully together. And, and we've had that in both this business and the last business. That's awesome. No, I mean, at the end of the day, I call it like, you got to give a shit, right? Like, it's like, it's, 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 I mean, like people ask, like, specifically as it relates to sales, like, oh, like, you know, what would you recommend for a salesperson? I'm like, you got, you got to care. Like, you, you, like, there's a lot of like tactical things I could tell you, but like, that's kind of, yeah, yeah. I mean, it comes down to that. It's not, it's not like, you know, it's not a means to an end, right? It's got to be much that. Well, that's awesome. Just kind of wrapping up here. Two two things. One, we we, we ask all the all guests this. So, um, one and 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 Cat, I'm interested to get your take on this too. I know you didn't do consulting in in like the you know kind of traditional consulting firm route, but I know you did kind of uh, strategy and finance and that sort of thing. So, I'm interested to hear your advice. But kind of what advice do you have? for consultants that are considering, let's call it the entrepreneurial slash search fund slash jack of all trades slash CFO startup path? Like, I, I mean, what advice do you have in, just in general? Yeah, I think, um, so I think my overarching advice would be like, dabble before you jump. So um, <clears throat> if there's a way even, you know, um, through consulting projects, if you're still at a McKinsey or a similar place, like, can you, um, you know, I know there's not a whole lot of free time, but are there ways that you, you know, maybe can, um, you know, I don't know if it's going for coffee with someone at that's on the client side, right. And learning about what, what they're working on or what their, um, what their needs might be. I know like, from when I was at Walmart in that like internal consulting role, I would meet with 
um, with buyers all the time. I would try to like learn about what they did just to see like, is this, is this of interest to me? You know, is this something that I want to do? Um, and then if you can't, you know, I know everyone's strapped for time these days. Like I, and I know you're going to ask us for book suggestions, but, but um, I love biographies because I feel like that's a really great way to um, learn what someone else's life has kind of been like and, you know, the, the adversities that they've faced and how they've, they've um, worked through those. But, but then also, you know, like, what they've been working on. I, I like business biographies, right? So a lot of times they're, you know, running businesses or doing this and that. And you can kind of learn from that um, what life is like a little bit um, on that other side. And so I feel like that's a way to like live vicariously through other people. Um, and, and lately I've really been enjoying podcasts for the same reason, right? So I listen to um, to a lot, like how I built this right for entrepreneurs. And you can kind of hear the, the story and kind of live vicariously or beyond bit. consulting, beyond consulting. I love that we're self plugging. This is great. Yeah. <laughs> uh, cool. What about you, Nick? General advice. I agree with what Kat's saying about trying different things out. That's how you stay married, by the way. Yeah, exactly. I agree. <laughs> no, I, I think that you're you're definitely like to your point earlier about not making things perfect, right? And being willing to just try things, even if you know, like you're trying to bake a cake and it comes out totally busted, right? It's like you have to be willing to try it. You're by that same kind of line of reasoning, you should don't wait too long to take the plunge, yeah. right? Like if you think you might want to be an entrepreneur, you know. You know, right. If you're not, you know, a lot of people, I think, justify staying in jobs that they don't necessarily like. And I say that understanding full well that many people that are consultants love it. Great. All the more power to you. There are many people that do it that really, really hate it. And they're getting up every day wondering, hey, how long, how much longer do I need to do this for? Right. Is it when I pay off those loans? Is it when I have X amount saved in the bank? Is it like when was it when I get to promote it to a certain role? What is it? Uh if you're asking yourself those questions, you don't want to be doing that. But that's the answer. So don't wait too long to take that to try it. Right. Bet on yourself. Uh, and I think you'd be surprised by what you can by what you can do. Uh, but you have to try. You have to you know, have the discipline to say, hey, all right, like this is my last day. I'm out. I'm going to give myself X amount of time. And be be generous, right? I, we mentioned when we started, we uh, we had six months. I guess that was a function of, <laughs> of like what we had to live on. You backed you backed into that number, huh? Yeah, you backed into that <laughs> but it was the most we could do. You know, be generous, right? Be generous with that, and give yourself that space. And as you're trying it out, right? As you're you know an entrepreneur, and you're not you know working with all the resources of a big firm behind you and stuff goes wrong and you really mess things up and you feel like an idiot from time to time or all the time, that's okay, right? Like give yourself the grace to just say, to laugh at it and just say, you know what? At least I can learn from whatever this experience was um, and tomorrow will be a new day and tomorrow I can hopefully do a little bit better. That, that would be my advice. I would add on too, like, cause I always had that hang up of like, when should I start? When should I make the plunge? The sooner you can make it, the better, because your cost of living is probably just going to keep increasing, yeah. right? Cause you get accustomed to like 
you either have kids or you get accustomed to the bigger house or, you know, like if you can take the plunge and do it before that stuff starts adding up, um, it's going to be just easier. That's yeah, no, that's true. I mean, the golden handcuffs become increasingly (laughs) more, more of a complex lock to, uh, (laughs) to pick as, as you get older. Right. So, um, all right, cool. Well, um, uh, last question. We're, we're, we're always kind of like trying to expand our, our beyond consulting library. Um, so always interested in people's book recommendations. So, um, hit, hit me, hit me with some of, I, I know Kat, you mentioned like you like biographies. Um, what do you recommend? Yeah. So the one that, um, comes to mind, which I know that Nick's read this too. Um, it's actually not a business biography, but it's by Martin short and it's called, mm-hmm. I must say, um, and it is hilarious because it's Martin Short. Right. Um, but I love it because it talks about his career and like, you know, you think of Martin Short and he's awesome and he's hilarious and he's had this super successful career, but it hasn't always been that way for him. And so I just love the story because it talks about his, um, you know, his adversities like on SNL and how it didn't come easily to him and all these things that I didn't really know about him. And I just, I, I, I have such a greater appreciation for him, but it also, you know, um, helps me kind of look at things that I'm dealing with and, and trying to work through. Um, so I, I just, I love it cause it's, uh, I also read a lot of business books, so it's nice that it's not a business book. <laughs> oh no, that's awesome. I, I struggle with imposter syndrome myself, so I, I'm definitely going to read that cause that like, I always feel like I'm totally faking it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, That's also, I think, really, really normal, especially when you're trying different things all the time, because to some degree you are faking it, right? (laughs) You're trying to to, to build some legitimacy. I think on the book front, I definitely, this is, this is another part of the interview where it becomes blatantly clear, like who the brains is here. (laughs) Cat reads a lot more than I do. I'm not sure I can read. No, I, I, I have many books by my night table that are unfinished. Um, there's like, I think of my book recommendations this way. There's the ones that you really want to read. And then the ones that you pick up when you really need to fall asleep and stop looking at your phone. <laughs> so, uh, but those can still be edifying. I'm making my way through thinking fast and slow. The Daniel Kahneman behavioral economics book, really interesting book will put me to sleep in about 10 minutes. <laughs> so I've got just a handful of pages to get through that at any given time. Um, but still, still really good. And just broadly, right. To the whole, just understanding how your brain works. And as an entrepreneur, just this notion that, you know, a a lot of the things that most people would be hyper analytical about, you may have to get comfortable not being super analytical about just for the purposes of moving your business forward, right. And making a decision and testing it and then course correcting as needed. Um, that's one application there. Uh, and then otherwise I, I'm really into like, uh, into prose in Spanish. So I'll spare you all the, <laughs> all, all of those guys. But, um, those are, those are when I, those are when I, I don't want to go straight to sleep. I do like thinking fast and slow, but I am reading it really slow. I only started it two years ago and I'm, I think I'm 80 pages in, but I'll, I'll get it done. Exactly. Eventually. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, thinking it should be called thinking fast and reading slow. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The uh, Awesome. Well, guys, thanks so much for, for joining us today. Um, so um, tell us. It, so if we want to learn more about Claro uh, or get into contact with you guys, no pun intended, how would we do that? 
I think the best way is to go to our website, which uh, again is Claro CFO with the K. Uh, dot com. And um, actually on our website, we have um, our, our LinkedIn's um, and our email addresses. So um, we love when people reach out to us. So, so don't be shy. Awesome. All right. Well, good stuff. Um, well, thanks so much for joining us, Nick and Kat, today. Um, for those of you listening for the first time, be sure to subscribe uh, so that you're notified of new podcasts uh, when when they are released. We, we do an interview each week. Um, so stay tuned uh, until next week. Um, and if you want to catch past episodes, check out www.beyondconsulting.info. And if you want to get in touch with us directly, it's eca-partners.com. But until next week, thank you so much. And thanks for listening.